Hello everybody, this is Joseph P. Farrell with News and Views from the Nefarium on Thursday, September 14th, 2023. We have a lot to talk about today going on with Russia and global geopolitics, but before we get to that, my house cleaning comes first, as you know. Tomorrow we have a vid chat, and that means get your questions and comments submitted no later than 10 o'clock tonight, U.S. Central Time. I'm going to be very strict this time. Uh, a lot of you just take license for, you know, all the week when you have uh, time to get things in and then, you know, send things an hour and a half late. So please, folks, this time, uh, if you are late, then I will have to archive your uh, late comment and question for a future vid chat or ask you to do the same. Uh, the reason why is I do expect a lot of submissions today. Uh, we've already had quite a few, and this means I'll probably be doing the vid chat early tomorrow uh, in order to allow people also to attend Dark Journalist's uh, podcast later that night so tomorrow we do have a vid chat i am going to start it early and i am going to be fairly strict this time around with the 10 o'clock u.s central time deadline now there's a wider context to the following story but um this story is significant because finally i think someone else is acknowledging what i've been trying to say in my own clumsy way for any number of years about the BRICS alliance and what's really going on geopolitically, not only inside that alliance, but with nations like Japan rearming. I've been maintaining, for example, that the rearmament under Shinzo Abe in Japan was a new diplomatic initiative and was being undertaken really because the Japanese deep state had concluded that the United States was no longer a trustworthy ally, but that Japan was going to pursue rearmament under the aegis of remaining within that tapestry of alliances with the West as long as it could and as long as it could be used to cloak their rearmament and independent course goals. I think this is going to remain the Japanese policy Although with the recent Russian war in the Ukraine, the diplomatic initiatives between Russia and Japan have been, I think, for the moment tabled, but I do not think for a moment that they've gone away. So there's a wider context for this story, and it's about the recent summit meeting between Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin, and it is written by Andrew uh, Koribko, uh, and it appears on Zero Hedge. I want to read a few paragraphs of this, and I want to suggest this wider geopolitical context, uh, because it's very, very important. It highlights the nature of the BRICS alliance, I think, in a way that few articles really do. All right, so here we go. The reported Russian-North Korean military deal is all about geostrategic balancing, and our thanks to EG for bringing this article to our attention. So here we go. Listen very carefully. 
Quote, many observers believe that Russia and North Korea have decided to strengthen their military ties due to shared threats from the West. Reports claim that they're exploring a swap whereby Russia would share hypersonic nuclear satellite and submarine technology with North Korea in exchange for Soviet-era ammunition and artillery. The first part of this deal would balance the emerging U.S.-South Korean-Japanese triangle, while the second would keep Russia's special operation going into next year. There's likely a lot of truth to this assessment, since it makes sense for them to help each other against their shared opponents in the new Cold War. But there's more to it than just that. For starters, the preceding report about their impending swap doesn't account for Russia's growing edge in its race of logistics and war of attrition with NATO that's responsible for defeating Kiev's counteroffensive. Even without North Korea's Soviet-era supplies, Russia is still impressively holding its own against all of NATO. This proves that Russia's military-industrial complex already meets its needs in the present and beyond, thus raising the question of why Russia would countenance a military deal with North Korea in the first place, let alone such a seemingly lopsided one. A cogent explanation is that Russia's military-industrial complex might struggle in that scenario to meet its military technical obligations to third parties, ergo the need to purchase lower quality supplies so that production facilities can prioritize higher quality exports. The answer to these three questions concerns China's reluctance to burn all bridges with the West as well as Russia and North Korea's shared interests in preemptively averting potentially disproportionate dependence on the People's Republic. Beginning with the first balancing act, while President Xi arguably envisages China leading the creation of alternative global institutions, as strongly suggested by his decision to skip last weekend's G20 summit in Delhi, he'd prefer for this to be a smooth process. Incidentally, I think Mr. Xi skipped the G20 summit because of some looming internal pressures within his own Politburo. But that's, that's a comment for another day. Anyway, I'm skipping one paragraph here to get to these two paragraphs, and then I will give you uh, the context in which I think it's best to view and interpret this article. Quote, even if President Xi offered to meet Russia's and North Korea's military needs, those two would probably still prefer to rely on one another for them instead of China in order not to become disproportionately dependent on the People's Republic. Both regard that country as one of the top strategic partners anywhere in the world, but each would feel uncomfortable if they entered into relationships where Beijing plays too big of a role in ensuring their national security. And that is right there, the whole essence of, I think, what you've got to understand about the so-called BRICS nations in a nutshell. I'll get back to that in just a minute. Anyway, continuing. From Russia's perspective, 
It is a matter of principle to never become disproportionately dependent on any given partner, since such ties would curtail the Kremlin's foreign policy sovereignty, even if its counterpart doesn't have any nefarious intent. In the Chinese context, relations of that nature might make some policymakers less interested in maintaining their country's balancing act between China and India, thus leading to them subconsciously favoring Beijing and pushing Delhi closer to Washington. Should that happen, then the global systemic transition to multipolarity would revert back toward bipolarity, or rather bimultipolarity, as Russia turbocharges China's superpower trajectory in parallel with India helping the U.S. retain its declining hegemony. The result would be that only two superpowers would enjoy genuine sovereignty, while everyone else's would be greatly limited by the natural dynamics of their competition. Russia obviously wants to avoid this scenario at all costs, unquote. And I think that assessment right there says it all because it lays bare what's really the guiding geostrategic principle behind the whole BRICS phenomenon. And you have to latch on to this, otherwise you're not going to understand it. The BRICS alliance basically is, as I've pointed out before, it's an entente. It's an understanding that each of the nations in that system is agreed that their overriding geostrategic, geopolitical opposition is the United States and the West. In other words, the United States and its European satrapies and proxies, France, Great Britain, Germany, Italy, Spain. But in reality, it's the United States. So priority number one that all the BRICS nations share is that. The, but the second principle, subordinate to it, is that within that system, each nation is free and expected to pursue its own national interest. So it's quite a balancing act that you're watching, and this is why you see this recent Putin overture to Korea. Now, does this mean that Russia's diplomatic efforts vis-a-vis -vis Japan and India, and for that matter China, are going to be tabled or put on hold. No, it does not. In fact, if anything, what I suspect you're going to see is redoubled diplomatic efforts between Russia and India and Russia and Japan, and then those will leverage any future diplomatic efforts between Russia and China. We've already seen in the last few years, folks, Russia canceling some major technological arms sales to communist China. And again, the principle involved is this principle of not relying or becoming too dependent, in Russia's case, on any one of its other BRICS partners. Now, there's another context for all of this that's been going on, and I hope you've been watching. Many of you out there who are regular contributors of articles to this website, regular listeners to these News and Views broadcasts, are also familiar and have been sending me articles about 
Russia's recent pronouncement that it would have to rely on weapons of new physical principles. And in fact, TASS recently released an article of President Putin making reference to these types of weapons and what they are. And of course, they're directed energy weapons, radio frequency weapons, particle beams, so on and so forth. Now, if you recall, these statements from Russian leaders are not new. In fact, I, I view them as going all the way back at least as far, almost over 10 years now, to the Chelyabinsk meteor incident when Dmitry Medvedev, who of course is currently the deputy chairman of Ru the Russian Federation's National Security Council, Dmitry Medvedev went on Russian television a month before the Chelyabinsk meteor incident and was pressing for an international cooperative effort to create a planetary asteroid defense system. And then he went on to say two very significant things in answer to questions from the Russian reporter. The first was that if Russia did not get international cooperation in setting up such a system, that Russia would have to at least build out a system to defend itself from asteroids. And when asked how Russia would do this, he then went on to say that, well, we could use our thermonuclear missiles for this purpose. And of course, at that time, Russia's supersonic intercontinental ballistic missiles were still in development stage, folks. Now they're reality. And then he went on to say, and we have other ways or methods of taking out asteroids. The reporter then pressed him for elaboration of what those other means were, and he simply smiled and did not answer the question. He did so a few months later when he pointed out the existence of things such as particle beams and so on and so forth. So Russia's been hinting at their capability in this realm for a long time. I suspect, therefore, that it is not accidental that they are putting out these gentle reminders about these types of capabilities as they are also talking in terms of escalation of the Ukrainian conflict. Now, there's another context behind all of this, and that is the recent NATO announcement of massive military and naval exercises in the Black Sea and the recent Ukrainian missile strike on the Russian base at Sevastopol in the Crimean Peninsula. Now, folks, again, wherever you stand in the Ukrainian war business, the fact of the matter is the, the Crimean Peninsula and Sevastopol are too important to Russian national security. Um, for the Russians simply to allow that to slide into the hands of the Ukraine. That's the bottom geopolitical line. I strongly suspect that these Ukrainian missile strikes could not have been orchestrated without the participation of heavy Western NATO powers involvement, whether that came from France or Britain or Germany or Italy, I don't know. But you can bet your bottom declining and increasingly worthless dollar that the United States 
green-lighted it and had something to do with the result. And after the United States, I would put the United Kingdom. So this is the context in which this geostrategic rebalancing act with North Korea and all of these announcements about principles of new weapons have been made. Again, the bottom line here is the BRICS alliance is less of an alliance and more of an entente. It's an informal understanding among the member nations that their geostrategic principal adversary is the United States. But within that, they are free to pursue their own national interests while attempting to coordinate with the other members of the understanding against that uh, against that principal adversary. So this is what's going on here, folks. This is going to be something to watch over the long term, particularly Russian diplomatic efforts with India and with Japan. This is going to become quite crucial, I predict, within the next few years, how they handle those relationships. All right, that will do it for today's news and views. Don't forget, get your questions and comments in no later than 10 o'clock U.S. Central Time. And expect me to start the vid chat tomorrow early. Uh, as you can tell, my voice is already showing the strains just in this short uh, news and views broadcast. So I'll start early tomorrow, hopefully get us all the way through our vid chat and uh, in do so in time for everybody to go over and enjoy Dark Journalist's podcast as well. So we'll see you on the flip side, everybody. Bye-bye, and God bless.